0: Hello, everybody. This is uh, Charlie. This is the podcast To Hell and Back. This is December 4th, 2019. And I am in my usual place in Northampton, Massachusetts, and uh, getting started with the podcast. And here's the thing with starting this podcast I know people can relate to this, but I hate, hate, hate this to happen. the topic for today, you may have seen, is uh, this huge topic. It's really a topic I care a lot about. It's very important to me, and I got all fired up about it and ready to go because it's something I I can relate to myself. It's about the experience in life of life sometimes seeming meaningless or pointless or really not going anywhere, and what, and for what a lengthy, difficult thing that can be for people. So I got all ready to do that. And then I set aside the time to really spell out all of my ideas, which is what I usually do before the podcast, is that I have several hours during the week that I set aside and I really allow myself to give some deep thought and to organize my thinking about it. I'll sometimes put down some notes and things. And this time I got all ready to do that. And then I just blew it, you know. I totally got ready to do it. And usually I spend all day Thursday on it. This is Thursday. And then I, yesterday, Wednesday, I thought, oh, damn. I, I'm, I'm teaching a workshop all day uh, Thursday. And, I, and so I realized that. And then I did. And so all day today I taught a workshop during the time I would have been preparing so I, so then I have the dilemma facing you guys, facing this podcast, whoever's either listening now or is going to listen to this, of do I do a half-assed job or do I do a good job for some of it? I Basically, that's it. Like, you know, I don't like this kind of position to be in this kind of position. I'm not usually in this kind of position, but I just realized before the podcast started, I don't have great choices. So I'm going to talk to you about this topic today. The nature of the let's call it the nature of the problem of pointlessness. And some thoughts, some guidelines about approaching pointlessness. But what I have figured out in the past few days, but without getting my chance to like put it all together today, is uh, in how many ways at first I thought. DBT has nothing to offer this. This is like a philosophical problem. This is like a deep problem about your existence. And then the more I thought about, and I do think that's true, and there's philosophers and there's poets and there's uh, playwrights who have spent their career writing about this, so I by no means think of myself as in that category. But then I started realizing, no, I'm underselling in fact that DBT, Interestingly, because I don't usually think of it this way, actually, the more I thought about it, the more I thought it really has a whole system to offer in thinking about how to cope with, how does pointlessness come about in somebody's life, how to cope with pointlessness when it's there, how to assess pointlessness when it's there, and what to do about it. So here's what I'm going to do because of my wanting to avoid a half-assed approach, is this will probably be a shorter podcast. Cause I'm going to talk about the condition itself of pointlessness and some things about it and maybe talk about some guidelines about dealing with it, but I'm not going to get into the whole DBT approach to pointlessness. I'm going to do that two weeks from tonight, from today, from this podcast. Okay. So now let me tell you what I'm doing in the next podcast and in, and in January just to bring you guys up to date with some things, and then I'll get started with the thing about pointlessness. First of all, next week. Last December, I had a podcast that was focused in a conversation with um, John Mader from North Carolina, uh, who's a a really skilled and experienced DBT skills teacher and therapist. And uh, John and I had a conversation about coping with the stresses and the emotional difficulties of the holidays. And we did it as a kind of a coping ahead. Here's lots of ideas about how to cope with that. And John has done a ton of work on this and teaches about this. So we're going to have a conversation about um, why the holidays present such stress and what's a DBT set of approaches for dealing with the stress of the holidays and, and coping ahead of time. Then the following week, which will be the 18th of December, I'm gonna return to the topic I'm talking about today. I'll have had then time to really spell out what uh, a DBT approach to pointlessness would be in more detail. Then comes the holidays. After the holidays, I just wanna let you know in advance, and I'll be posting this also in the various places this podcast is posted. um, There is a therapist and DBT expert at Yale University, um, Seth Axel, Axelrod. And Seth actually, just a couple weeks ago, received the uh, really wonderful award of being the outstanding teacher in DBT by the um, group called the Is It DBT. It's the annual DBT meeting for the United States and many people come from other countries. It's sort of the big meeting of the year. And every two or three years, an educator award is given, and Seth got it. And he's just really an interesting human being. Uh, And Seth, though, has coped for the last few years with cancer um, at a relatively young age. And he's been dealing with this and dealing with the treatments of cancer and the consequences of cancer and the emotions and the thoughts that go with cancer. And he has agreed to talk with me for three consecutive podcasts in January, January 16th and 23rd and 30th. Uh, Seth and I are gonna to talk together and he's going to t- I, I'm gonna basically interview him about um, what it's been like to have cancer and what has his practice and learning in DBT and DBT skills brought to him that has helped him cope and regulate himself throughout having cancer during which he has stayed incredibly active and is still, you know, winning the award as the best teacher of, of DBT. So it's really going to be an interesting thing. So I just want to let you know about those things. Two other things. There's going to be, uh, you know, in a, I've done this podcast for two years plus, two years and three months. And um, I've always had the imagination, after I did a lot of these, oh, gosh, I should do an in-person uh, to Helen back um, workshop or something conference or something. And, um, so I'm doing a workshop for two days in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, in April 20th and 21st, if anybody's anywhere near Pennsylvania. Um, and it's the title of the workshop is something like to Helen back using DBT for emotion regulation. Um, so I just want to let you know about that and that the group putting it on, if you Googled their uh, organization, is called J&K Seminars and they're in uh, Pennsylvania. J&K Seminars. So their website would probably, I mean, it must have this posted by now for registration. And so um, I look forward to that as a place to they go two days of talking about using DBT skills to cope with adversity and dysregulation in life uh, for anybody. And then I'm also doing a similar workshop for those of you in Massachusetts or near Western Massachusetts in uh, Northampton, my town, uh, April 2nd and 3rd. And I'm not sure it's posted on the website yet of the organization, but Cutchins, C-U-T-C-H-I-N-S dot O-R-G is hosting this. They host my uh, intensive trainings also. So I want to let you know about those things and just while I'm on that I guess I should say that I'm going to do another 10-day intensive training for DBT therapists starting next July in Brooklyn, New York. Um, If you're interested in that you know get in touch or I'll let you know how to find out about that. So that's really it. I don't usually use this for this because I'm usually jammed with stuff I'm gonna talk about, but in this case, like I said, I'm gonna do um, what I can today to get started with the uh, podcast about pointlessness. Why did this come about? I have, for some reason, it's just sort of like one of these accidents of the universe. I've just been encountering more people lately that complain of feeling like there's no point in life. Um, And so, by the way, somebody just sent a question. Yeah, oh, it's so funny what somebody just sent is something I was just gonna say something about. So I've been um, having this experience of running into more people and more young people who talk about pointlessness, like what's the point of life? Oh, what's the meaning of life? these days. And I don't know if it's an accident that I've run into more people uh, or that there have been more conversations, but I do think that, you know, I have children who are 21 and 25 years old, and I work with a lot of people in those age ranges and teenagers, and I do think that in the face of uh, the climate, potential climate catastrophe to earth and living in an era where nuclear warheads are all over the place and there are there's there's kind of it seems like things have gone more in the direction in the last couple of years of not regulating them as tightly i just think there and and the economy and and where there are places for people who are like 20 years old, 15 years old, 25 years old i just think there's more feeling of is there a place for me on earth? is there a place in the future for me? so i think there is this kind of like um, you know I'm not, a, I'm not a journalist or a philosopher, so I, I don't want to oversell this point. There are people who sm- think about these things probably more smartly than I do. but I do think that we're living in an era where the possibility of life seeming pointless or putting in a lot of work into something seeming pointless um, may have may have grown uh, based on these these factors, uh, which are rather huge so um, next thing, I think that, I think next, I was thinking I would read something to you later, but I, let me see if it's here. If I pull it up right now. Yeah. Okay. One of the people I was recently talking to about this topic, not because of this podcast, but just because this conversation was up, brought to my mind, so I had known about this, but I had forgotten about it for a long time. There's this famous photograph that maybe all of you know about called the pale blue dot. If you were to Google the blue dot or the pale blue dot, you would find all about it. In 1990, one of the spacecrafts out in outer space, Voyager, took a photograph of Earth from a long, long, long ways away, billions of miles. And it showed the Earth as a pale, tiny, tiny blue dot in the scope of the universe. And the person who requested that this be taken was was Carl Sagan, uh, an astronomer, right, and a popular writer about astronomy. And Carl Sagan didn't take it because it would add anything to our deep understanding of earth or the universe. He took it because he thought it would be helpful in our reflections about our significance in the universe, that it might be interesting for us. And then he actually wrote a book about the pale blue dot. So I'm going to quote, I'm going to read to you just a couple paragraphs because as a way of setting the stage for today's discussion, Let me see if I can find it here. Yeah, here it is. Okay, so if you were looking at that dot, he's he's imagining you're looking at the picture of of the pale blue dot. He says, look again at that dot. That's here, that's home, that's us. On it, everyone you love. Everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and our suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor, explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there, on a moat of dust, suspended in a sunbeam. The earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors, so that in glory and triumph, they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. Think of the endless cruelties visited by the inhabitants of one corner of this pixel on the scarcely, indis- scarcely distinguishable inhabitants of some other corner. How frequent their misunderstandings, how eager they are to kill one another, how fervent their hatred. Our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe are challenged by this pale point of light. Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity, in all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere. To save us from ourselves. The earth is the only world known so far to harbor life. There is nowhere else, at least in the near future, to which our species could migrate. Visit, yes. Settle, not yet. Like it or not, for the moment, the earth is where we make our stand. It has been said that astronomy is a humbling and character-building experience. There is perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of human conceits than this distant image of our tiny world. To me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly with one another and to preserve and cherish the pale blue dot, the only home we've ever known. So that was Carl Sagan. I'm using that as a jump-off point. Now I want to read you some things I was writing in preparation for this to capture, what is it about this that I wanted to talk about? And as I've told you who were listening at the beginning, uh, that I will be talking about the problem and a few guidelines, but then I'm going to come back in two weeks for a more full discussion of how I think one could approach the whole thing from a DBT perspective. So what's the point? This is what I've been hearing and what I sometimes think about myself. What is the point of being born, growing up, going to school, getting a job, getting married, having a family, retiring, and then dying? What is the point of waking up in the morning, getting out of bed, showering, brushing your teeth, getting dressed, eating breakfast, going to work or school, getting tired, being done for the day, making and eating dinner, going to bed, and getting up in the morning to do it all over again. What is the point of being but one speck in a massive universe, among trillions of specks, all gone in a flash, thinking that you are important or meaningful, pursuing your appointed mission if you find one, making enough money, raising children, getting recognized, all just to remember that you are actually one tiny speck and one flash in time. What's the point of living and relaxing, working and pursuing leisure activities? Toward what end? Why choose this rather than that? Why choose that rather than this? What is the point of all living when in fact it all ends up in dying? It just sounds absurd somehow to juxtapose these things. It sounds depressing and to some people, it sounds pointless. Now I just wanna point out that even already in listening to this, there are gonna be those of you, my guests, that say, yep, I know what he's talking about. Yep, I know what people are talking about when they say that. I can understand that either because I've been there or I am there or I can see why people would be there. And I think there's another group of people who would listen to this and pretty much turn it off right now and say, what's the point of listening to this dribble? You know, because are, I think there are a lot of people who just don't think like this at all and can't think like this, which is understandable. You know? And they're kind of like, in a way, they might be uh, fortunate to not ever think about this. So, uh, so, so many of us in life seem to be filled with some degree of mission, a sense of mission, of passion, of meaning, of significance, of doing important things, important work, raising a family that seems important. So many have enthusiasm about these essentially temporary pursuits on the pale blue dot. What's going on with people who who think that way? Are they the normal ones? Are they in a delusion, a delusional bubble? Or are those people who don't see the point in living, who are considering that life might not be worth continuing, are those people you know, not in touch with reality, but actually they're caught in a depression? You could argue that thoughts and feelings of pointlessness are symptoms of depression. And in some cases, I imagine that's true that the same person who holds pessimistic views of the future, the world of the self also has all the other symptoms of depression, poor sleep, poor appetite, poor concentration, intense guilt, sometimes sadness, tearfulness, thoughts about suicide, all these things biological and mental that are what we consider to be a depression with the person who is very depressed, they may have thoughts of what is the point of getting up in the morning? Why take a shower? Why get dressed? Why go anywhere? Why do anything? So that could be, that can explain one group of people who may end up saying these things. And, um, but I think that to consider pointlessness to be just another depressive symptom is not to capture how meaningful, meaninglessness, is for many people. In other words, it's not always part of a whole, um, I can just say from my clinical practice, it's not always part of a a clinical depression. There are individuals, maybe millions, I don't know, who are not suffering from major depression with all of its signs and symptoms, but who go about their life tasks, who go after goals, who work, who go to school, who engage with other people, who find some pleasure here and there in life, and who, when they stop and think, when their mind opens up, they have these questions about what's the point. I guess you could call it existential pointlessness as opposed to the pointlessness that comes with major depression. And perhaps there's a relationship between depressive thinking and pointlessness. Some place where they intersect, but I don't think they are necessarily the same thing. In fact, in people who experience, and I've known people who experience a kind of existential hopelessness and pointlessness and meaninglessness about life, they can actually go through the day and have happy experiences, engaged experiences, but actually, this is the backdrop. This is what they're thinking when they're thinking. Because happiness might be along a track with unhappiness but it isn't the same as meaning and meaning I think is on a track with meaninglessness and these are not necessarily the same tracks. Now what I'm talking about so far has been called by people some people philosophically and some people just trying to capture how to understand that they feel this way in their lives when people that they know might not feel this way. Um, nihilism and existential nihilism. Uh, Now, I I looked up in Wikipedia, existential nihilism, it's a philosophical theory that life has no intrinsic meaning or value. I'll quote, for instance, with respect to the universe, existential nihilism suggests that a single human or even the entire human species is insignificant without any purpose. Each individual is then seen as isolated, as an isolated being born into the universe, barred from knowing why we are born into the universe. The existentialist response to the dilemma in philosophy is that meaning is not a matter of contemplative theory. In other words, you can't figure out meaning. But instead, meaning is just a consequence of engagement and commitment that's going to become important when I come back to approaches if you are stuck if you are a person who is trapped in a prison of existential pointlessness and you and there's no point getting up and there's no point doing things and I've known people who are spending every day doing nothing other than sitting around because they are painfully and paralyzingly stuck in a sense that there's no point in doing anything. So I want to get back to that when I do part two of all this. Now, as I've said, you know, I'm not a poet. I'm not an artist. I don't put myself alongside the category of people who who deal with this in um, in a lifelong way. But I think I have been afflicted with some of this myself during episodes or periods of my life and I've certainly known a lot of people who are affected, and I've treated people in my practice as a psychiatrist and a psychotherapist uh, who are affected by this. And, and it isn't just a philosophical dilemma that comes up in late night conversations, it is painful for those people who are in it. And of course, if you're in it, you know this. If you're not in it, maybe you do or don't know this, depending on who you know, but it's an extremely painful feeling to feel that there is nothing that there's no point, that life has no inherent meaning, and that the very fact of existence is absurd, that one will eventually die, which nullifies everything. It's a very harsh experience of daily uh, reality, of moment to moment reality, and it can gnaw away at people. And I, I know people into their 30s and 40s who have suffered with this, and they have lost connection with a sense of what the point is, and it is gnawing away at them, and they've tried lots of solutions, and they just have, some people have not gotten out of it, it can really destroy hopes and dreams and talents and possibilities of connection and uh, things in life that bring other people meaning. The sense of pointless of things being pointless or meaningless is, I don't think is, associated with or attached to any one particular group, this isn't just something that people who are teenagers struggle with when they start to think about life, or people who are in college struggle with when they're thinking, this is something people think about. I think I've known people, when I stopped and thought about this, ranging from age seven to people in their 80s that have thought about these things and felt these things and struggled with these things and wondered whether life is worth living. Now, this is where I want, um, I'm so tempted to just keep talking about it, but I don't want to just like talk when I am less prepared than I wanted to be, as I explained before. So I want to just jump to a place where I'm, I'm, I'm going to present a more systematic approach next time, because I'll just tell you this about it. First, when I was thinking about this, I just thought, oh, this is a big philosophical dilemma about what you think about life and meaning. But actually... Even if it's not part of major depression, I started to think, you know, for the person who experiences life as meaningless or pointless, that wasn't probably always true. It might have been or partly, but probably when that person was one or three or five or seven or something like that, it was not necessarily the case that that was how they felt. It came into being in their life, which makes it a historical phenomenon and even if it's many years long, it's an episode of sort of thought disturbance, or person might think it's thought reality, but it's really a source of suffering. And so you can think of it as something in a historical context, which then puts it more in the realm of thinking of it like a clinical phenomenon, like thinking of depression, thinking of episodes of anxiety, thinking of episodes of wanting to die, episodes of other things. You know, if you start to think of it like that, as soon as you think of it like that, you're thinking of it as a clinical, clinically defined phenomenon that has within it specific thoughts, specific emotions, specific actions and consequences that are going on that actually have causes. That came out of causes and conditions, and that once they arose, they got reinforced, and they kept going, and there wasn't an answer to them, and they consumed somebody's life so that their life becomes uh, something like a prison, like addictions. Somebody who's addicted was at one point not addicted, and you can look at the story of their life and start to see the story of the beginning of the addiction, the story of the maintenance of the addiction. And I think of this about people that I'm working with that are having pointlessness and meaninglessness, the story of the emergence of meaninglessness, the story of the maintenance of meaninglessness, the functions of meaninglessness, the things that meaninglessness do for a person and to a person. And then it opens the door to what I'll cover more systematically in that uh, two weeks from now, which would be the solutions to meaninglessness. What are their solutions? What are the solutions to meaninglessness? And how do you problem solve meaninglessness? And I have a lot of thoughts about things I've seen people try to do and things I think could fit, and some of which are drawn from just the wider spectrum of DBT approaches. There's also what is the value or how would you do it to accept meaninglessness? Is there any advantage in that? Is there anything to be said in favor of radically accepting the state of mind that life is meaningless? Is there anything to be said for that? Is there anything to be said for not trying to fight it? But I not saying that it is true or isn't true, but actually accepting that this is what the experience is. I think that there is a lot to be said for that, but I wanna talk about how to do that next time, that other time. Is there anything to be said for thinking dialectically about meaninglessness? Since dialectical behavior therapy is at its core a dialectical model and what would that mean and what would that look like? And I look forward to talking about that because I think that the principles of dialectics could very much raise questions about meaninglessness and maybe raise possible directions to travel, to do something about it or to live within it differently or to solve it differently because ordinary things might not work, but actually when you're as stuck as you are with meaninglessness or hopelessness or pointlessness, um, I think that there may be dialectical approaches, and like like I say, I I have partially laid these out for myself. So I want to wait until I've done more on. It. But I do want to go over with you, and this is pretty much going to be the end of the podcast today. So it's a shorter podcast than usual. I did just write out some guidelines. These are based on experiences of mine and other people that I know, um, and and sort of common sense in some cases. So they're, they're, they're these are not scientifically based, but um, you know, I am going to recommend when I talk more about this, that you one go through a process of assessing the nature of pointlessness because I think it's different for different people and you want to spell out what it is you're talking about because one person's pointlessness is not another person's pointlessness. But In general, here's some guidelines I I think about subject to modification. One, as the state of pointlessness is a problem in which you are imprisoned in a way by spirals of thinking, which add up to a paralyzing situation, thinking is not likely to be the way out. A second guideline, as the state of pointlessness is usually accompanied by stasis and paralysis and standstill, it is likely that movement is going to be needed to change the situation, that you're not going to be able to solve this from a contemplative standstill. You're probably going to need to push here and push there. And again, I'll spell that out more next time. Next one. As the state is, the state of pointlessness, again, one filled with thoughts about the past and thoughts about the future. Weighted down by more thoughts about what to do about it. In other words, you're already stuck with a lot of thoughts. And then you have thoughts about what to do about it. And it's just thought upon thought. You almost like piling a log jam, like a log jam in a river. Where it's not flowing anymore because there's so many logs. I'm picturing that pointlessness has a lot of logs and it's not flowing anymore. And those logs, a lot of them are thoughts. So the way out is more likely to happen again through action or some kinds of exposure. Next one, using a sort of a different metaphor that this kind of sense of meaninglessness and pointlessness can be like a fog. As the fog of meaninglessness having settled in obscures vision and obscures perspective, it is wise to try to move up and out of it sometimes so that you can see it from an elevated place or an elevated vantage point to be able to see the fog from the outside. In other words, you know what I mean? It's sort of like when you, when you are living with an experience that life is pointless, even this moment is pointless, even thinking about this moment is pointless, getting up and going and having breakfast is pointless and going to work is certainly pointless, talking to other people is pointless. You are inside, from my metaphorical point of view, that person is living inside of a fog where nothing makes any sense. And, if, and so one perspective on how to deal with it is going to include somehow being able to see the fog the way you might see a fog if you elevated yourself into the sky and you could look down at the earth and you could see a fog. So if you could see your own fog of pointlessness, how could you do that? I mean, you might be able to, by writing about it, maybe this is one reason people have written like Kafka wrote about pointlessness in things. And, and Camus wrote about pointlessness. And, other, and philosophers, Sartre has written about pointlessness. People have written about pointlessness. And I think maybe one of the motivating factors to write about pointlessness is to try to get a handle on it, try to get a perspective on it from an elevated vantage point. You can read about things, you could write about it. If you have a different kind of talent, you might draw the fog of meaninglessness and see it looking from the outside in, you might write a song about it. Maybe I'll have a song about it two weeks from now. And you might just talk about it with someone else. And if you talk about it, you might get a different perspective. Any time you push it around like that. Um, Another guideline. Um, Because the state of pointlessness tends to stop rational thinking about its origins, In other words, once somebody gets in a state of pointlessness, they kind of think pointlessness is the real thing. It is the real thing. It is the state of the universe. And other people have delusions about uh, coping with life. And and if you're living pointlessly and you look outside your house and you see other people doing busy things, just thinking, it just snowed here in the Northeast the last few days. So we get like 18 inches of snow all of a sudden. So somebody who thinks that life is pointless looks outside, and if they're in a neighborhood and they see a bunch of people out there doing, like putting all their energy into building a snowman, what could be more pointless than building a snowman? It's going to melt as soon as the sun comes out. It's like, what's the point of building a snowman? Isn't that what all of life is? If you're in a pointless state of mind, you think that way, and you think that you're right. I mean, you think that that is the nature of the universe. or not necessarily, you might think, what the hell is the matter with me that I can't see the meaning, the power, the importance of building a snowman, which might just be, it might just be engaging. Um, so there, there is that, it's sort of like, uh, so, so if you can place the beginnings of your pointlessness in a historical context, like there was a beginning of this fog, there was a beginning of this point of view, When did it start? Out of what situation did it emerge? Are there any losses that happened that triggered a kind of a breakdown of connection? And did this emerge out of a breakdown of a sense of connection? Did it emerge out of a sense of a breakdown of trust because of a way that somebody was traumatized? did it come out of a breakdown of one's confidence because fail because some significant failure or set of failures is a person who goes to war more likely to feel pointlessness afterwards because they see what can happen and it has devastated their sense of continuity and connection because as as I'll get back to when I do take take this further in a couple of weeks you know I do think that many of the solutions to this, or in general, a kind of solution to this, has not to do with figuring it out and coming up with the right way to think, as I've already said. It's more likely to be, how can you reconnect? How can you engage? How can you, in a DBT skill, participate? How can you get yourself to do something to break out of your fog or your bubble and to do something that triggers your brain because if you keep staying inside the same pattern, it is, as people say, the same old, same old. Same old, same old is not really good, I think, for the human species, except up to a point, because regularity is nice and predictability is nice. But, you know, if if you've lost novelty because you won't put yourself into anything, it's very hard to break out of a sense of pointlessness. And the final guideline that I'm going to just mention before stopping is that it, 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 I think it can be useful to zoom in on the microscopic details that make up that fog. You know, don't just take, oh, life is meaningless, and have an argument about whether life is meaningless or not. It's like, what exactly is your experience of life being meaningless? What are your thoughts within that fog? What are your behaviors in that fog? What do you do? What do you not do? What do you try doing? You know, like I had a conversation with somebody not very long ago about this, who is in the middle of this, and who has interrupted her life course for the time being, because she wonders what is the point of going on. And I said to her, something like what I've been saying to you, I said to her, what if, what about, what if you um, realized that there was a time when you were a, a little girl and then a bigger girl and a bigger girl that actually you didn't think life was meaningless. Maybe you thought life had a point. Do you think that was true? She said, yeah, I do, I do. I didn't always think this way. Okay, so it came out of something. It didn't come out of nothing. So I want you to think about it for just a minute without knowing if there's an answer to this. Can you imagine out of what context in your life, your interactions in your life, emerged this sense that life is pointless. And she paused for a minute. She talked about something else, but then within one minute, she was talking about a challenge, huge challenge, not a small challenge, in her relationship with her parents that made her wonder what was the point, actually, of continuing to relate to them. So actually it didn't start with all of life is pointless. It started with what's the point of continuing to have conversations with my parents under these circumstances, which is a much more specific thing to focus on. And it gives more possibilities of doing something about it. You know, let me tell you about one little other little story and then we'll, we'll, you know, I keep saying we're going to end. Look at this. I'm going to have a whole whole podcast after all. I mean, (laughs) Oh, i am just dampening all of my thoughts I just had about that. Um, Yeah. Uh, Let me tell you about one other person where this came up and actually we found a solution. And so it guides some of my thinking, but I think it's just one category of pointlessness. There was a young man I, I worked with clinically like, mm, how long ago? I think I was in New York. I was in New York. So it was like more than 22 years ago. And, uh, Now you guys know that I'm more than 40 years old. I just gave it away. Um, Anyway, I was working with him. He came to me after college. He had been out of college for about a year and a half. He had been successful, quote unquote, in college. I mean, he did well in college. He was not happy in college, but he did well. And he did what he was supposed to be doing. And he went to a college that was very much approved of by his parents. And his parents and his brothers were in the financial business in New York City. They were very successful. They made a lot of money. And he was expected to do the same thing. And not just he was expected to that anybody said you have to, he just expected that that's what you do. And so he went into the financial services business in New York City, and he had a good startup job, starting job in such a firm. And he came to see me with a complaint like a year and a half later, I had never met him before, that life was pointless and that he f- thinks he was depressed. He, d- I don't know if I'm depressed. It's just that I don't see the point of getting up and going every day to work. Like, I do see the point of it that everybody does that, and people make a good living, and my parents make a good living, and my brothers make a good living, and it, and I and I'm, I think I can do this. But I keep wondering, why am I doing this? What is the point here? And so it started to snowball for him from just sort of like, uncertainty, doubt, reflection into a bigger fog of what is the point of anything. And that's when I got him. It was sort of like it was evolving in that direction. And when he got to that point, and we worked together for about three months, I didn't think he had a major depressive disorder. And we didn't treat it with medication at that point, though I was willing to try that and we discussed that. But we talked about it. And we talked, you know, and, and he decided, I forget what part I played in this, but out of the conversations with me, he decided to take time off. So he decided to take three months off and he managed to get approval to take three months off. I forget what the explanation was. So he takes these three months off and uh, he said, but I don't know what to do with those three months. Like, what's the point in doing anything? And I said, you know what? take your mind off of the larger question of what is the point of doing anything. Now you've given yourself the situation where you're not in school, so you don't have to be doing your exams or your papers all the time, and you're not having to do your work with financial industries, so you're kind of in a situation that you haven't been in maybe since you were a young child. So why don't you just decide each day what to do that might bring you pleasure or meaning or respite or relaxation or something, you know, you have the freedom to do this now. And I'm going to support you a 1000% in that. And we're going to talk about that. And we're going to meet two times a week. And we did that. And after a few weeks of this, I said, Okay, now look back. What are what have you been doing? Let's look at, let's add it up what you've been doing. He said, well, I've been he said, it seems like what I do is I go to I go into nature, I go into the woods, you know." I've even like dug some trails in near my house so that it's easier to go through the woods or so when it snows out, cross-country skiing might be possible through the woods. And so I've been working on trails. And does that bring meaning to you? Well, I don't know if it brings meaning, but I like it. You know, I like getting out there in the woods. Do you need a person with you? Not really. You know, I'm kind of a loner, and I'm kind of pretty good alone, as long as I see people sometimes. Okay, so that's what you're doing. Does that suggest anything to you about your work in the financial services industry, which is kind of like 24 hour day work for the people who get really involved in it on Wall Street? And he said, well, it's so different, it isn't even work. I said, but for some people, it's work. So it didn't take much at that point to nudge him. And he started, going, he started looking up jobs where people are in the outdoors. Within another two months, he had decided to quit his job. He had decided to go out to the state of Oregon, state where I come from, probably no accident, but actually there was lots of other reasons. He went out and got a job on Mount Hood, which is a ski mountain in Oregon near Portland. And he got a job uh, that was uh, a, on a rescue team, uh, ski patrol. And then he got, then he, while he was out there, he lived in a cabin and he got it, and he worked for the United States Forest Service. And they started having him during the non-snow season to help maintain trails. Within about three years, he had become somewhat of an expert in avalanches and how to prepare for avalanches, and how to watch out for avalanches, and how to survive in avalanches, and he started doing avalanche courses, and he lived by himself in a cabin there, and about once a year, this guy would write to me, and he would just, it was so um, rewarding, because he would write and say, I just want to tell you that I am happy every day doing what I do, and now I have a girlfriend, and she's living in the cabin with me and she was working on the ski patrol. And, and, I, and my parents barely talked to me. But actually, I'm, I feel like I'm finding it, and I feel like I needed to get out of it. So to me, this is not the perfect example of all the other people. This is one example, one case, one situation, and a pretty successful outcome of somebody who I think, had he remained doing something that was not based on his own microscopic sense of what meant something to him. He he may have ended up in that larger fog of thinking there's no point in life. He was already thinking about suicide when I saw him. No more thought about suicide. And he comes back to the East Coast every once in a while. We've met twice, I'd say, in the last 20 years. And he comes back. He. he you know, he's just in, been in very good shape. He's had his ups and downs by now. So I just want to use that as an example that um, it's, it's a suggestive example to me that one of the things to do, and somebody's really deeply in a hopeless state, is to start looking microscopically at the things that do bring, um, that destroy meaning and the things that bring meaning and see if it's possible to build from the ground up uh, and give a person a sense of, uh, of freedom to experiment. So look, um, it is a shorter than usual podcast, but only by nine minutes. <laughs> I thought it was going to be shorter than short. Um, next time, Nat, two weeks from now, uh, if you heard the beginning, you, two weeks from now, I'm going to continue this conversation, having starting with this as a base, and then go into like a systematic way of thinking about how to help a person whether it's yourself or somebody else, or a family member that is experiencing uh, pointlessness. And if any of you hear this between now and then, and want to write me anything about this, you know, it'll help me think about the whole topic. Um, something I've only talk, thought about in a, not in a clinical way before, but now I'm beginning to realize, yeah, they, just like uh, I've, I've, I've done a lot of talking and, and a little bit of writing about uh, treating emptiness, the experience of emptiness can be really framed as a clinical problem and there are approaches to it. So I think there are to this too. So look, um, I can't end this podcast today without even, you know, just acknowledging one more time, it's like saying goodbye again to my old friend, Perry Hoffman, who was the person who originally suggested that I do podcasts. Uh, and who was on all of the podcasts listening uh, for like two years at the beginning. I mean, it's now only been a little more than two years, but she was almost always on the podcast. And she always uh, was encouraging. And uh, and as many of you know, she passed away uh, from a really pain, a difficult illness. It wasn't painful, thank God, uh, a few weeks ago. So I just, from the point of view of this being the podcast that uh, might not have been like this if she hadn't suggested podcasts to me when I was looking for something else. So I want to uh, say uh, thank you to her and uh, and then uh, say goodbye to you guys. And I'll, uh, if anybody's interested next week in hearing about uh, ways to cope with the holidays, supposed to be ho, ho, ho happy at the holidays, but actually doesn't always go that way. So uh, whether it's Hanukkah, or whether it's Christmas, or Kwanzaa, or whatever, when people have holidays. So we'll be doing that next week, Thursday, six o'clock, East Coast time. Be well, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Bye-bye.